Who's leading this mob? That's a good question. Hi, everybody! You have everything. Pneumonia? Yes. Juvenile diabetes? Yes. Hysterical pregnancy? A, a little bit, yes. Aren't you supposed to give him anesthetic? What's wrong with you? Uh, you had a stroke about seven years ago. I'm 37?! At least I don't have cancer. Chemo's toxic. That you've managed to be walking around all this time is nothing short of a miracle. Not even supposed to be here today. Welcome to Shouldn't Even Be Here. I'm CJ, here with Joe. Hello. And Drew. Hello. And our guest this week, Maddie Lorenz. Hi. Maddie is someone we went to high school with. I promise you that we do know people other than the people we went to high school with. But I Matt don't. <laughs> That's all I know. <laughs> but Maddie is here with us from L.A., he works full-time as a, a film editor. His latest film that he cut together, that's jargon, the industry, is Triple Threat. You can get it on demand. And it's actually a pretty interesting movie and more important than you think it is. For me, it was interesting because I'm not a martial arts fan. It was an exciting movie to watch. But then afterwards to find out that it was three world-renowned martial artists from different countries pulled together you know it's outside of my scope of knowledge yeah that, that is interesting because it was for me also when i started working on it i didn't really know who tony ja was or eco ways or tiger chen and those are people's names yes okay. <laughs> they're, they're people who starred the movie along with scott atkins and michael jai white who you might know from spawn i don't know what that is <laughs> i know the comic book spawn black dynamite do you know scott atkins do you know hard target I have seen Hard Target. Have you seen Hard Target 2? He wasn't in the first one. He was no. in the second one. <laughs> so if you listened to last week's show, we will all know that I am not someone who actually knows the names of any of the actors in any movies. If we get super obscure, we'll call my dad later and see if he knows, and then he'll embarrass me in his knowledge of pop culture. But so that's why I use the word interesting, because having these martial artists from different countries who have different styles of fighting is interesting. It's a pretty cool movie. Yeah. What martial art did Ja Rule do? It's Tony Ja... Oh, okay, never mind. And I really don't know. I mean, he punched a lot. He kicked a lot. There, He's there, very physical, though. So not Aikido. The other thing that I, after I saw the movie and I asked Matt, I asked, how did you speed them up? Did you use cracking or did you use, like, what? And the answer is... No, I didn't speed it up at all. That was uh, their natural Like, when movement. you watch the movie, they move faster than you think people should be able to move. Yeah, like, sometimes they move so fast that you can't see it. Like, so wasn't that the thing with Bruce Lee? Isn't that the legend? They had to slow down the film in order to capture all his moves because he moved too quickly. I've heard that, yeah, that and Jet Li also from Lethal Weapon 4 fame. That's what you'd give... <laughs> That's the only thing I've seen of it. <laughs> so we went to high school together, and one of the interesting things that we had been talking about when I had you lined up to come talk to us is that you'd recently read a book about memory, and you said that that had kind of changed some of your perspectives on things. Yes, and honestly, I wish I'd reread it, at least the book jacket, because I can't really remember much about <laughs> what are I you, Are you making book. a joke that you're talking well, about the book about memory? Well, I sort of am, but I'm sort of not. <laughs> like, it, it's called Moonwalking with Einstein, and it was really interesting. I've always had a weird memory for dates and numbers. Uh, the book is about just some normal guy who wanted to win a memory championship, and he couldn't remember where he left his car keys, you know? So he's like, oh, I wonder if the, this is a skill that can be learned or if it's something that's just inherent to, like, who you are as a person. He actually wound up training for a year, and he won the American leg of the championship. And then he went to England to compete. Can, can, can I pause you for a second here? Mm -hmm. I have no idea what a memory challenge entails. Well, no, there's a few different events. Like, they'll take a deck of cards, shuffle it, and then lay it on a table, and you have to remember what order the cards came in. Is there prize money? I don't remember. 
<laughs> he didn't. He didn't. I win. really don't remember. <laughs> yeah, I didn't compete. <laughs> the prize money is they give you a bunch of hundred dollar bills, and then if you can recite back all the serial numbers, you get the you get the hundred for every serial number you remember. Do, do you have to qualify for this contest? I don't think so. I think you just show up. They uh, tell you when York. it's going to be <laughs> ten years before, and you just have to remember. To be they there. don't publicize. You can't it. write it down. You're not allowed to write it down. Do they have like local events? Are there sponsorships? There has to be qualifying events. Again, I read the book. I do remember when I read it. I read it last February, uh, 2018. <laughs> <Which> <laughs> it, took about, it took about three weeks to read it. That's the worst skill to have. It's like, I can tell you when I read every book I've ever read. I have no recollection of the content of the book. Yes, I but can I remember can you. where I was when I read certain chapters. I was on a plane when I read this. I can tell you to the minute exactly when I finished the book. But that's interesting because that's kind of how memory works. Like things that I've read, I will go to, I, it was on like the left side of the page, top of the page, mm -hmm. and I can orient that. I can usually pull things out. Yeah, and that's how uh, the, the championship worked for that guy. There's, there's techniques you can use to remember things. Do they talk about using their mind palace? Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, so you know more about it than I do, probably. Well, that's in the, that's in the TV show Sherlock. Oh, that's where, he, that's where he knows that from. <laughs> um, it was actually in The Mentalist as well. Oh, okay. So in the show The Mentalist, that was something that he described as being able to, because he had a photographic memory, and he would discuss that everything that he wanted to remember, he would construct a mind palace, and every memory that he had was an object within the palace. And so in order to remember them, he would put them in different places. Rather than try and remember the fact, he would walk through the mind palace that he devised in his mind and he would go to where that object was and then it would reveal to him which to me sounds way more complicated than just remembering individual things yeah but, well, you, but your brain is like it's not wired to remember facts in that way but it is wired to remember things when they're organized and if you can come up with a way to organize them then it's easier for you to remember them you said that with a lot of authority like Jeopardy champions that learn certain techniques to remember all the facts. Like they don't just go on there with all that general knowledge and then win a million dollars. You know, I don't know if you guys that heard. That Jennings guy did. Well, no, there's a, no. there's a guy who's like destroying Jeopardy right now. He literally just won really... over a million dollars. What? Yeah. Their, their 14... prizes are um, historically weak. 14, no, so 14 I... games in a row in terms of like remembering things and the way to learn and, and memorize facts. There are techniques that the Jeopardy champions will use. And I think some of those techniques were even incorporated into Watson, IBM's computer. That's really good at Jeopardy. That beat Ken Jennings at, and whoever else, I can't remember who the other guy was. So my father keeps calling me and telling me that I have to watch Jeopardy. This guy who is winning, James Halsauer, he has a technique that actually has a name and Alex Trebek has come out and spoken against this technique. Is it Trebeking? <laughs> I wish it was. It's called cheating. What do you no, mean? No, it's not called cheating. So what he does is he jumps from category to category, and he knows what category he's going to next. So he can place his mind in that category, and it gives him an actual advantage. Trebek has said that he doesn't like that. I don't know what the name of this strategy. I read it, and I can't remember it. Um, he was saying that the writers of the show go to great lengths for the show to have a flow, a natural flow that you, you start at the low number and you go through a category and yeah. you go from low to high and there's a flow to it. 
And by jumping from category to category, you disrupt this flow that the creators of the show have gone to, to great lengths to create. But that's curious. Did they create that flow or is that just human nature? Like you start on one and you just go down the list. Because I prefer that other method where you jump around. That's more fun as a viewer anyway, because you don't know what you're going to get next. The show creators probably do try and consciously create that flow, but like the natural way to choose categories when you watch, most people will go 100, 200, 300, 400. Well, now it's, it used to be 100 to 500, now 200 to 1,000, and then 400 to 2,000, right? Oh, they, I haven't watched it in a while. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so the guy's name is James Holzauer, and he, prior to being a Jeopardy champion, sports was, better. Yes, professional a, gambler. He was, he was a in big Vegas. sports better. And so he calls his strategy, it's, he calls it the James style. He's trying to maximize the money. And so that's where he's... Well, and there's, and, and there's certain places that they put the daily doubles, like certain places that the daily doubles are more likely to be. And you'll notice that the people that know where they're supposed to be will jump around categories more until they find it. Prior to him coming on the show, the highest daily winnings was 77000 which goes to, to what Maddie was saying about they're not huge prizes. He has set and broke that record four times in his 14-day span. So in 14 days, he just cracked a million. One million, 61,554. Yeah, taxes. Yeah, but Ken Jennings, who was on for 74 episodes, only had 2.5 million. So when you see how much more he's pulling out of his winnings, it's really unheard of. Yeah. His average per episode is, is, is up there. But there was a lot on Jeopardy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Matt, do you ever edit Jeopardy? I, no, I wish. <laughs> it's like a union job. <laughs> Camera one. You mentioned the memory palace, though, but it's kind of an important sounding place, but it could be anywhere. You know, it could be like your childhood home. Do you have a memory palace? Well, yeah, my grandma's house because it's easy to remember. Matt's like, she was uh, royalty. She lived <laughs> yeah. in a palace. It works out really well for me. It's, are you being serious? You, yeah. You, can you give us some examples of things that are in your... Well, no, it's just like you walk down the driveway and there's something you place there to remember. If you want to remember it in order, you know, you have to remember which, where you walk. So when you're using this technique, it's not like you have stuff stored there now. It's like somebody's giving you a list of things to remember and you're putting them in certain places. Yeah, in your immediately. House. So like if the ace of clubs is for me, Chris, on a unicycle, right? And that's the first card that comes up, then I'm gonna put that right at the, the foot of the driveway. So I'm gonna see in my mind Chris on a unicycle and say, like, Oh, that's ace of clubs. And then I'm going to walk and I'm going to see something else. What seems a little bit counterintuitive about this whole method is like, okay, so you're not only having to associate the Ace of Clubs with something else, CJ on a unicycle. That's what they call the Ace of Clubs. You know that? <laughs> CJ, on, CJ a on a unicycle. Yeah. But then you have to figure out somewhere to put that. And so then you're... You know where CJ on a unicycle So goes? then you're walking through your house and it's like, oh, there's CJ on a unicycle. What? the hell is CJ on a unicycle? Like, why does that become easier to to then... Well, because Chris would represent an ace, CJ. and the unicycle would represent the club. So, like, every, oh, time, okay. every time I see an ace... Chris, when you're in the memory palace, are you aware of the space that you take up? And are you yourself now, or are you a child? Well, I don't see myself in the memory. I just see the, the individual things. And again, I... I he's I not on ayahuasca. He's just in his mind. <laughs> yeah. have like, you, I, I don't see myself seeing images. Have, have you ever seen Quantum Leap? Oh, yeah. So if you went through a mirror... Or walk by a mirror in your mind palace. I would see Scott Bakula. Yeah. <laughs> 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 
there's like and the theme song would kick in. Several rooms in my memory palace are just dedicated to Scott Bakula and Scott Bakula related memory. His yeah. buddy was Al. Oh, Al, that's yeah. right, Al. Yeah. Yeah. Dean Stockwell. When you said, when I said Al, he ran up the stairs of the memory palace and he's like, Where do I keep Al? Where do I keep Al? And he's like, Ah, he's in the stock room. It's Dean Stockwell. <laughs> so, as a way to remember your name, can, would people remember you as a uh, just a really shitty apartment? Something low rent? Yeah. So Matt low rents. Yeah. <laughs> or I was gonna think like lore, like you're trying to find something positive. Yeah, I was. Like, I yeah. Would like to think of myself the end of a, the end yeah. of some long book. <laughs> yeah, that's that's good. Yeah. Yeah. The, the lore ends. Yeah, I'm going with crappy apartment. I'd picture I'd picture his face on the back of a book jacket. There you go. Right, Matt. Oh lore yeah. Ends. Or or a rune. I don't get it. Like lore, like a like a stone tablet. I don't know what that is. You know what a rune is. Are you any? Oh, rune. I get it. <laughs> yeah, rune, like a rune stone, not rune like every time you ruin it. <laughs> um, so I do want to pivot, though, here. Uh, so you do film editing and talking about memory and like the mm-hmm. way pre- people like remember information or process information. Mm-hmm. Does your reading of this book or your thinking about this change any of your thought process and how you approach cutting a film together or telling a story? Uh, I would, no, it hasn't. To kind of go with your pivot, I'm very good at remembering birthdays. Okay. And the reason is because I remember what movie came out on the day the person was born or around that date. Do you know what movie came out on the day I was born? Well, I do know that uh, President McKinley died on the day you were born. Not the same year, though. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, he's, he's, he's hundred. He's 147 years old. <laughs> I did actually know that President McKinley did die on my on, on the day of my birth. Yeah, in uh, the Canisius High School parking lot. Well, no, I don't know if he died there. He laid in state there, right? No, that's no, where they yeah. took him. Yeah, they have the little plaque there. Because McKinley died, he was shot at the Pan American Exposition, and then they took him to the doctor's house, and the doctor's house is now where the student lot is. Uh, September 14th, a Predator. That movie Predator last year that opened on your birthday. Was it so Predator? how does that how does that help you remember the day of the week? Well, everything come out on Thursdays, <laughs> no, Fridays. You think Thursdays, but they actually technically come out on Fridays. Yeah. They used to do midnight showings, and now they do quote unquote midnight showings at like seven o'clock on Thursday. Yeah. So when I said they come out on Thursday, that was absolutely technically correct. Which is the best kind well, of no, but if you, but if, the, you, if you look at rele- <laughs> if you look at release dates now, mm-hmm. even though people will see the movie on Thursday. The release date is the Friday. And the box office gross from that Thursday counts towards Friday. Because it comes out on Thursday. It sounds like you have no. some, some strong opinions about the way that they, well, uh, I do. the film industry is going there. Well, 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 let me get this out first. He's like, though. let me not blackball myself in this industry completely. <laughs> I'll say everything repeats every 28 years. If you're born in 1981, that's the same as 2009. August 30th, 2009 was a uh, Sunday. Is this part of your mind palace? No. So, <laughs> so, did you have to go through your entire mind palace to see if it was there and then realize, nope, so, nope, he's like, yeah. nope. Man, that's also that, the day after Judgment Day, too. Terminator. The, uh, the, okay. Like, for real? All of yeah. this stuff, all of this stuff is fascinating, but I'm still stuck. I'm still stuck on, uh, okay, 28, everything repeats every 28 years. Yeah. Wait, so can, 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 we, can, we, can we narrow that down just a little bit? The calendar dates. So, <laughs> so like you know, everything. 1991, every 1991 and 2009 are the same. 
in terms of in terms of the days of the week for the numbers. Yeah. Right. So August thirtieth, two thousand nine was the same as August thirtieth, nineteen eighty one. Yep. So how? But that still doesn't help me. How did you know? <laughs> how did you know that August thirtieth, two thousand nine was a Sunday? Because um, Inglorious Bastards opened on the twenty first, and then a week later was the twenty eighth. So then two days later, it would be a Sunday. That seems like a long way no, look, to get there. It, it, that's how I figured it's, it out. It's, when, you, when you tell me, that's how I figured it out. That's crazy. But the speed <laughs> that you figure that out is much faster than some people just remember things. I can only do movie references. There's a guy who can do like the year 1230. No, he, my, can do it, he can do it like that. My ex-girlfriend from high school could do this. You could give her a date and she could give you the day of the week that it was. Any date, any year. Didn't matter when. Yeah, I can't do that. Didn't know how she could do it. She could never explain it. It was just like a thing she could do. That's impressive. <laughs> if, if I was going to be ble- if I was going to be blessed with one skill, it's like you know, like your mutant power. I'd be pretty annoyed that that was what I got. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's people out there who don't forget anything. Like Mary Lou Henner, she doesn't forget. You can ask her what she had for breakfast 37 years ago, and she'll tell you what she ate, what the weather was like. Is it like a curse? Yeah. Yeah, I've heard that. That's when people have that kind of memory, though, they lack the ability to not remember things. So it's it's a flood of information. So when you consider the fact like you have something to eat that you like, when you take a bite out of that thing, you are also remembering every specific time that you had that thing and it dulls that particular moment because you don't forget any of the sensations. You don't forget any of the memories. And I've heard it's really hard to enjoy moments because you're flooded with all of the moments that you've had that were even similar. Interesting though. In my own life, I actually have like a f- semi-physical mind palace. Like I keep mementos. I keep touchstones for myself to. Yeah, it's called being a hoarder. <laughs> yeah. What do you mean by a physical mind palace? No, like in my living space, I have things that when I look at, they take me to a time and place. Like I can't. You, you like mean I physically like... can't imagine what that would be like in my brain if when I bit an apple, I remembered every other time I bit an apple. I think Phil, what he's just, I think you just what have he's, a room filled with knickknacks. I think remember. what he's saying is there's there's stuff that when he looks at he remembers other times and other things. Like, like mementos. I think that's yeah. just being a human being with feelings. And having mementos. Yeah. Right, but I'm saying like when I see that, it's one particular memory. I can't even imagine if that was like a thousand memories at one time. Right, like when you look at the baseball that you got when you went to a particular baseball game, if looking at that baseball reminded you of every baseball play you've ever seen in the world. Baseball is also a great example because there's a lot of baseball games. <laughs> oh, and it's uh, so boring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> what, is, what is sex like for these people? You can remember both times with no problem. Clank, clank. Oh, danger. I'm blushing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm flustered. I'd imagine it'd get boring after a while. Or would it be amazing? Do those people almost become asexual where they don't need to have new sexual experiences because they're just like, ah. Or you'd become like hypercritical of everything. Like, ah, nope, nope, this isn't quite, nope, this isn't doing it. I remember, I remember, and this isn't it. The first time we did it, it was 87 and a half thrusts and we were done. (laughs) (laughs) They they would definitely be the worst person to argue against. Here's my check, though. Um, uh, Name a movie and I'll tell you when it came out. Three Men and a Baby. Oh, it's November of 87. I don't know the exact date. That was the number one movie that year, though. 
Joe doesn't know any of the actors who were in that movie. We established that. <laughs> no, last. we didn't. We established that he knew at least one of them. It was Ted Danson, right? I successfully was able to remember that Ted Danson was in it. I thought that Billy, Billy Crystal. Crystal and uh, <laughs> Tom Selleck. <laughs> that would have been a hell of a movie. <laughs> well, who did I think it was? Or, I thought Steve Gutenberg was Billy Crystal. Mm. Um, and so when did you say November? November of 87. You are correct. November 25th, 1987. Yes, Thanksgiving. The never-ending story, which is a terrible misnomer was, of a movie. It was 84. You know, I was, what, three years old? I don't, I don't know what's going on. It did come out in 1984. Oh, so July. So this is July, yeah. this is not something like that. You've gone back and proactively rem- no. Tried th- to- this is stuff when I was a kid. I remember when this movie was coming out. Wayne's World. That was Valentine's Day '92. Shazam. Are you trying to bring up the Mandela effect? Did they bring up the Mandela effect in your memory book no. about how people have false memories? No. Shazam never was in a real movie. No, it was a movie that came out this week. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I thought you were talking about the one with Shaquille O'Neal. No, no, no. That was that was Kazam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you were talking. Like, about, I thought you were talking about the one with Sinbad. Yes, it's called the Mandela Effect. It's named after there were people who remembered when Nelson Mandela died. There were people who actively remembered seeing his funeral years before. And it was enough people that remembered. And no one knows what the phenomenon is. But over the years, there's been a bunch of different things. One of them being, supposedly, people remember seeing a movie where Sinbad was a genie. Yep. And I thought it was called Shazam. And that's what I thought you were talking about. I feel like this is going to happen a lot more now. Now that there's Twitter and social media and things. Oh, somebody's oh, going to yeah. say something that right. never mm-hmm. happened and people are going to read it and just think it actually happened. Mm-hmm. And the whole space-time fracturing thing and the fact that, that that we're getting people into our universe from other universes with other memories. and Yeah. yeah. And especially with them being lizard people, primarily. Yeah. One of our future guests will be going over the Hollow Moon lizard people theory. Is, is Bet you didn't know that? Chris could tell the future. The movie that had Sinbad in it that people remember. It was also called Shazam. So now they're making another movie called Shazam. It's already out. Just, it's out. Does it have it? It's got the guy has a cameo. It's got the guy from Does he really? Does Sinbad have a cameo? That seems like a a really big dropped opportunity. It'd be crazy if Sinbad was in the new Aladdin as the genie. Wouldn't that be so weird? It's like people are seeing the future somehow. Wait, isn't he? Like Who? The Simpsons well, predicted that's Will Smith. Yeah. yeah. The Simpsons predicted the future numerous I feel times. Like it's 25 times or something like Well, when that. you mm-hmm. make 400,000 episodes about every topic, you're bound to hit a couple of <laughs> yeah. things. Like I don't know. Are, are you saying that the Simpsons are actually the monkeys typing into affinity? <laughs> yeah, they they call, and they also put that in there. There there are a thousand is a thousand monkeys <laughs> typing at a thousand typewriters for infinity. <laughs> Matt has made a number of movies. He is a 48-hour film project extraordinaire. Well, um, to some. Multi-winner. Multiple different cities winner. Which and- isn't in your IMDb, by the way. Because <laughs> I looked up, there is a Matt Lorenz, and Matt Lorenz is a... Uh, <laughs> he's um, like a porn he's guy. He's a cartoonist. Yeah, there's a cartoonist Matt Lorenz, and there's a porn Matt Lorenz. Yeah, he's That's also not from you? Van Nuys. No. There are, it, it is it is him, but yeah. he just uses it differently. I was actually in a full-length feature that you made, yep. which was an impressive process. But one of the things I'd like to talk to you about is how you view editing. Because I think you're very good at telling stories. I think you're very good at editing. Thank you. And 
I'd like to talk to you about how you view that and how you look at that. Editing was always my favorite part of making movies. But when I shoot, as a director, I always shoot for the edit. So like I know how it's going to cut together. So it's pretty easy for me when I cut my own stuff. But editing somebody else's footage now, professionally, is very different. Because I actually have to watch everything that they do. So on your IMDb, you have four credits as a director. Three of them are shorts, and one of them is a full-length feature. Have you directed anything that's more full-length? Uh, oh, yeah, there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot more shorts that I've done, and there's uh, a lot of commercials. I've done locally in Buffalo probably about, like, 200 commercials. You ever see the Picasso pizza commercial? Yes. That's a good one. <laughs> the, pizza, the pizza box that gets yeah, married? The, yeah, the pizza box that proposes to the girl. Do they ever consummate? Um, yeah, they, yes. Gross. Well, they make a little calzone. It's actually a series. We only filmed the first two, but they were going to get married and have a little pizza box baby, like a little tiny baby in a stroller, Pers- a personal pan pizza. Was, so, can you go back to your your, your view on editing? And oh yeah, well, you, you said is, you shoot for editing. But yes. When you're editing, you mm-hmm. talked about filming for editing. The first film recorded was firefighters coming to a house, woman in a in a room on fire. Right, we know that. People would connect that those firefighters were going to her. So with your cutting different pieces together and telling that story, how do you visualize that as a storyteller? Well, as an editor, I just kind of see the footage and try to put it together in a really interesting way or like a way that you haven't seen it before or a way you wouldn't expect. But when, you, when you're doing something different, like with music, there's certain chord progressions that sound pleasant. There are certain story progressions that we're more comfortable with. The firefighters going to a person in a room on fire makes sense to us. That is what a firefighter typically does. (laughs) No, but referencing that that as the the first movie. So when you're trying to do something different, how do you walk that line between something that's different but people connect in their own mind? To me, anyway, it's all about feeling. Like, you remember we did that that silly um, zombie movie? The 48-hour film with the... Yeah, Love After Death. Yeah. so when The we... link will also be in the description. <laughs> yeah. When I was filming it, because it was just me shooting it, and then it was all the actors. And we shot, I think, in like 12 locations, 14 locations, and over eight hours. It was just instinct. It was just like, oh, uh, like how should I shoot this? What would be an interesting way to do it? And everything's different, too. Every scene is different. Every It's a fundamental like artistic thing rather than something that can necessarily be taught. You can teach someone the math behind chord progression. You can teach someone what a good song sounds like. But that doesn't mean that someone knowing that stuff can sit down and be like, I'm going to be a composer. Right, but you do need to know that before you get into it. But there are certain, like, cliched rules that even people who don't do filmmaking know. Like, like you don't want to cross the line, which mm -hmm. is like if I'm filming a conversation between you two, like you're on the left side of the screen, you're on the right side of the screen, there's like an invisible line here. You don't want to put the camera on the other side of that line so otherwise so, it's confusing so because we're in a it's um, extra confusing because we're in a non yeah so, we're in a <laughs> yeah. so you are you, using your hands a lot. Yeah. That, so yeah. if, you, if you have an actor who is on the left side of the screen speaking to an actor on the right side of the screen and you and you cut to actor who was on the right side now on the left side it's confusing to the brain so as an editor are you super offended by movies that you watched on VHS like in the 90s when they would pan and scan back and forth when there clearly was a shot that was taken 
where two people are in the shot, and then they would just slide it back and forth so that it could fit on the TV screen. As a kid, yeah, I, I noticed that, too. I, I would always be like, why is the camera doing this weird thing, like moving back and forth? Is that why you became a filmmaker? It's like, I need to fix this. this, <laughs> this I had a laser disc player. They showed movies in widescreen as opposed to VHS, which was pan and scan. What is that? It's like a it's like a um, a DVD only it's record size and you can only fit an hour on each side. So a movie's two hours, you gotta flip it over halfway through. But those are the first things that had special features. So like I'd watch a commentary for like Escape from New York, and you would never get that on a VHS. So when is this technology from? It's from the early '80s. So when movie rentals became a thing, could you like when I was going and renting VHSs from Blockbuster, were you going and renting these, these laser, laser discs? discs? Well, you would actually have to buy them. Like I didn't know any place that would rent them. And the laser discs themselves, it was thirty-five dollars each. Wow. Which, which and this is back in the mid '90s. Yeah. yeah. Do you still have them? Yeah. Do they have value now? Is there a nostalgia no. value? <laughs> well, there's nostalgia value. I, I threw a lot out, but I saved like the ones that are important to me. Is Wait, there... you threw laser discs out? Yeah, because they would rot. It's weird. Like, Wait, certain discs there's like a rot that would set in, and the picture would get all screwed up. So it didn't even so have the longevity of like a DVD. No. Or, so a v- which, or a VHS. Or a yeah. <laughs> yeah. So which laser discs? The old got... technology wasn't as good. <laughs> Sony, Sony, all Sony ones, like the cable guy. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, yeah I know. I love that movie. Throw that movie out. <laughs> Last Action Hero, even though that was my favorite movie growing up. What's your favorite movie now? Well, L.A. Story is actually my favorite movie. That's the movie that made me want to make movies, so... In how do you which, feel which one? LA story. LA story. Yeah. Okay. That and Nightmare on Elm Street four. Remy Harlan. Remy Harlan. Harlan. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you knew that. Yeah. So how do you feel about where movies are now? Well, it's interesting. Um, in the theater, and then that's clearly oh, not. Where, no, 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 that's clearly no. not where Triple Threat is. <laughs> well, it was for a day. You missed it. March nineteenth, man. Should have been there. Boo. Did you put that in your memory palace? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what object is that? Um, it's my grandma juggling. What is your grandma juggling? Three Asian men. (laughs) (laughs) Which she'd been known to do in her later years. The best joke you've made in years. Back in the 80s, there was a film that was completely star-driven. It was called uh, Three Men and a Three Little Men Lady. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, that was 1990. Three Men and a Baby. That that was, was, sorry, yeah. Three Men and a Little Lady was in the November 90s. 21st, 1990. So that movie, everybody knows everything about it. And there are even really important theories that are brought about that that well, was the last great film well, that everybody knew everything about forever. <laughs> Maddie subscribes to my Three yes. Men and a Baby. Well, you realize it cost, what, $10 million? And it was the number one movie of the year. That doesn't happen anymore. What doesn't happen anymore? Are you saying ten million is a lot or a little? Well, ten million cost back then was okay. I mean, it wasn't cheap, but it wasn't expensive. And you're saying that, that movies that cost that little don't make that much. Yeah, usually they just come out of nowhere. And nowadays it's all programmed. Three Men and a Baby had hit stars and an original story. It wasn't a franchise. It wasn't from a mega powerhouse or something like that that was really pushing it. Right. Usually movies would be uh, discovered by audiences, like Beverly Hills Cop. That was another movie of the year. But now, movies are more driven by intellectual property. So, you can never make Three Men and a Baby, because the studio would say, well, why would we make a movie for $11 million when we can make a movie for $100 million that has the potential to gross a billion? So, Three Men and a Baby... Total domestic gross was $168 million on a production budget of $11 million. That's a lot of money. And $168 million back in 1987 was 
approximately $376 million. Which is about as big as Captain Marvel. A little less than Captain Marvel, but this movie wasn't in 3D, though. Which is weird, because three men in 3D would be nice parallel structure. It would bending. be. So is there a, I mean, is there a market for it though? Like a movie studio might scoff at putting up $10 million to only make $40 million, but $40 million is still a lot to a guy like me. Is well, that what Netflix is doing? Yeah. That's not theatrical though. Recently, I heard that Netflix actually bought a small chain of theaters. Well, they're so going to buy the Egyptian. Air, yeah, so that they yeah. can air... Or they can broadcast. I don't even know what <laughs> broadcast. They can broadcast their movies. <laughs> broadcast live. Yeah, they can put them on teletype and uh, <laughs> let people see the films. So apart from Disney and Star Wars, you know the Marvel movies. What's the next tier of movie that's being released right now? There's the Disney movies, and there's everyone trying to be like a Disney movie. Well, isn't everything a Disney movie now that Disney has purchased every yeah. property? Disney, every... Owns, Disney owns Fight Club now. People caught up with it on right. video. It became a cult classic. Yeah. Well, that's like Mystery Alaska. That was the one. <laughs> it's nothing like Mystery Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they both came out the same year, but... It... I, I use Mystery Alaska as an example that Mystery Alaska did like $9 yep. in gross domestic box I worked office. At, I worked at Regal when it came out and nobody saw it. Nobody uh, saw it. I also worked at Blockbuster Video when it came out on DVD, and we couldn't keep it on the shelf. That movie did amazing in did video rental. Yeah, Russell Crowe was a star by then. Hockey is all about timing. Who was the female and lead? He was he the was New the York Rangers. Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, take that, New York Rangers. Um, Chris really liked his joke. <laughs> <laughs> you can laugh. We'll just cut it out. <laughs> um, well, so that actually, it brings up a really interesting thing that just happened recently is that woman, she was the God Bless America singer in Philadelphia. Evidently, back in the day, she did a bunch of like, racist... They just tore a statue down. Yeah, or they something. tore a statue down. But the guys on ESPN were really outspoken about the fact that she, in her past, had all of these transgressions. And I think it's really interesting that now, going back full circle, they work for a corporation. Now they're owned by Disney. So the ESPN guys are owned by Disney. And it's like, well, are you going to quit your job because of Song of the South? Are we all standing by everything that everybody did forever in history? Anybody who did anything bad, you can't be associated. Now you got these guys that are ripping it apart. Disney's not innocent. Disney's made some things. The Crows in Dumbo. They're, they're not, not in the remake. The yeah, live shocking. Action. Yeah. <laughs> I watched with my kids not too long ago the original Peter Pan, and they have a song called Why is the Red Man Red? And that's literally as much as I can say about it without being really offensive. You kind of were offensive even saying that. <laughs> yeah, and I, mean, I think it's an interesting position to take that you're going to look at a person who lived in the 40s that said things that are considered racist by today's standards, and you're going to take her entire career as a singer and say that she should be erased from history while you work for a company that has done pretty much the same thing. Not to mention the faces of the people on our money. Yeah, I don't spend dollar bills. Well, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm just saying, you know, our founding fathers owned slaves. 
we can bring this right back to Matt, who's into movies. I mean, you can mm-hmm. look at oh, what's that movie called? The one, the Birth of a Nation. Birth of a Nation. Oh like, yeah. You can look at Birth of a Nation. It's regarded as an important film as far as the technology of film. Yeah. But it's Although super, it's cross cutting, it's super racist, and it's been kind of isolated. Which I give credit for isolating it and still talking about it. I think there's a real problem in approaching history with the eraser because it doesn't give you the opportunity to talk about the progression that led to those moments, which is part of what's, I believe, necessary moving forward to preventing them in the future. Louis C.K. comes to mind. Yeah, there was a time when you could just ask someone, hey, can I do this in front of you? And they're fine with it. <laughs> From my interpretation of what he said, he came forward and was like, look, this is messed up. Let's have a talk about it. And everyone was like, go away. We're just going to pretend like you don't exist. And so we missed an opportunity to have a conversation about having power and implied pressure and things like that, that there was room for. But we didn't get to have that talk. Yeah, but everybody always comes out whenever there's a sensitive political issue or a sense of cultural issue. People always say that they want to have the conversation. But when people want to have a conversation... Can, I, just, they... can I say something? Of course. That's why you're here. I, just, I love making movies. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that there is such a thing as an elevator pitch. Is that a real thing? That it you, is. That you condense a movie pitch into... Well, you used to be able to sell a movie off a sentence in a poster. So, Danny DeVito, Arnold Schwarzenegger, twins. That's um, your movie. extra garbage? Yeah. Or Arnold Schwarzenegger, pregnant belly, junior. That's your movie. Nowadays... If Give you... us one for a True Lies, since all your examples oh. are Schwarzenegger <laughs> movies. <laughs> Arnold, gun. No one True lies. No, no, no. There's a grenade in between, but the pin on the grenade is a wedding ring. Mm. Oh, very nice. Do you remember what law firm she worked at in the film? No. Do you? Well, I remember the first two names in the law firm. It was Stern, Kessler, something and something and something. That was a law firm that I worked at in D.C. It was actually filmed part, really? yeah, partly in that office. Did you meet James Cameron? No, I didn't work there at the time. It was 1994. <laughs> I was James, there. James Cameron actually <laughs> was 13 yeah, I, I assume he showed up every year. Like, <laughs> the anniversary of when he showed up. He still gets invited to the Christmas party every year. No, there is a, there is a poster, though, hanging in the, in the hall. A true oh, is there? Poster, That's pretty yeah. awesome. Yeah. I have a family friend who had actually written a screenplay, and he took it to, I guess they have conventions where multiple different studios will send representatives, and you can pitch your idea, and you essentially go down the line and see if anybody's interested. And his... Speed dating for movies. Yeah, essentially. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But his idea is, it's a fantasy thing. It's got... Wait, are you pitching us your cousin's idea? I'm not going to get into the whole thing, but in order to make the film, it would be tremendously expensive. And what he was told was because he doesn't have an audience, Mm -hmm. he needed to adapt his screenplay into novels. And if his novels got a following, then they would consider it. Because the only way they would take the risk on making the film is if there was a pre-built audience based on the the work. Fascinating, and that's also true. The box office for 1998. Number one, Saving Private Ryan, Armageddon, Something About Mary, A Bug's Life, The Water Boy, Dr. Doolittle, Rush Hour, Deep Impact, Godzilla, Patch Adams. That's the top ten. Of those, Godzilla is a remake. Sort of. It's an IP. It's and not yeah. an original story. And Godzilla is yeah. a Sony movie, so they also know that if they put it on Laserdisc, it'll last <laughs> It's right. Yeah, the laser. <laughs> Good callback. <laughs> oh, and Dr. Doolittle is a remake also. I believe Reimagine. 
And if you go to the highest grossing movies of 2018, there are no original properties in there. So 2018, Black Panther. Marvel. Avengers. Marvel. Incredibles 2. Sequel. Jurassic World. Sequel. Aquaman. DC. Deadpool. Sequel. Dr. Seuss, The Grinch. It's kind of original. Deadpool. Deadpool. <laughs> I mean, it's a remake of something, but they did something it's different with it. It's a third remake. Yeah. <laughs> they did something and, and different. Deadpool was not only a sequel, but also either Marvel. Uh, comic Deadpool book. Yeah. yeah, that was also a Marvel. Yeah. Uh, Mission Impossible Fallout. Sequel. Ant-Man and the Wasp. Marvel sequel. Marvel and a sequel. Number 10 was Bohemian Rhapsody. But that's also, hold on, that's also a remake. 11 is A Star is Born. Remake. Mm -hmm. 12 is Solo. Sequel. 13 is Venom. Marvel. 14 is Ralph Breaks the Internet. Sequel. So 15 is Spider-Man. That's a sequel slash Marvel. But the next one is A Quiet Place, which is an original film. By John Krasinski. Yes. They're looking at filming the second one in Buffalo. Yeah, that's why he was here or in Akron. That's Ohio, right? There's an Akron, New York. <laughs> no, there's not. <laughs> why are they named it? Home of the Zips. <laughs> um, <laughs> Zips. So, okay, so we're coming back. We were talking off uh, recording about the movie Clerks. Yeah, so Matt asked me which movie I like better, Clerks or Clerks 2. And so we were getting into the emotional value. I picked Clerks over Clerks 2 because it, it meant something to me. But I think if you showed Clerks to an 18-year-old film student who's never seen the movie before, their reaction would be they could make that movie better. And my answer would be, yes, you could definitely make it better, but you could not write it better. And to me, that's what makes the movie the movie. Clerks is very well written. Absolutely. It's not very well made. In case anybody has any question, I love Clerks to the fact that anybody who's listened carefully to the intro of this podcast, there are at least three clips from Clerks. I used to work at Blockbuster back in the day when we got to have picks. Clerks was always one of my picks. But not Clerks 2, huh? Or Dogma. Well, Clerks 2... Dogma Dogma was one of my picks. Dogma Dogma has actually changed some of the views I have on religion and life. That's for a different podcast. And when I was was (laughs) in college, I used to give an awkward thumbs up when I played hockey. And my nickname when I played hockey was The Buddy Christ. Mm. It was not complimentary, but I owned it. I'm like, I love that movie. I can't Mm. even argue. When I was in college, I made a point to go out to Red Bank, and I went to Jay and Silent Bob Silent Stash. Oh, wow. And when I was there, I bought a Buddy Christ figurine, and that was on my dashboard for a very long time. You know that's where my wife grew up, right? In Red Bank? Red Bank. Did she know Kevin Smith? Um, She did not. She knew Jason Mewes. Hmm. Are not, you ending that story there? Not as, not as impressive. As <laughs> no, well, I don't know if she had what, anything. No, what do you mean she knew him? It was all secondhand. She, well, I mean, it was like not Biblically? who he was. <laughs> and he was, was a guy was friends town. With, Yeah, was friends mm. with people who were friends with him. Clerks inspired me to make my movie. Boy, did you, did you take $10,000 in credit card debt? No, it was, it was $500 was can, the, can, the cost can I, of the movie. Can I interject here? Yes. What I was told when Matt initially called me to be involved in Boyd is that he had gone to the screening of a movie that I had been in, and Matt said, 
if people can make a horror movie locally, I can make a movie. Clerks influenced me too because I saw Clerks. I was like, well, he made that movie. Why can't I? I, I know that it's it's a given that everyone who's listening to this podcast has, has seen the movie Boyd. Oh, but yes. can you tell us what does Boyd stand for? Well, I can't. You got to watch a movie. The original title of the movie was The Day Before Tomorrow. Which is a terrible name. I think it's a great name. False. <laughs> that was the, the script is titled The Day Before Tomorrow because it's today. Right, that's yeah, very yeah, clever. Yeah. We, all, very, uh, we all picked up. What hold you were hold down on, there. <laughs> hold on. Andrew is still doing the math. <laughs> yeah, so no Dude, one. Do you have your abacus? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no one liked it. And I remember we shot we shot the scene. Hang on. So the couldn't party we call scene. it? Couldn't we? Couldn't we call it the day after yesterday instead? Wouldn't that make more sense? <laughs> Everything comes in context, <laughs> which is why Clerks I think is relevant because every film student thinks they can make Clerks, but you they think can't. that's why people like Clerks. No. No, I don't think it's why people like Clerks. I think that's super meta because Kevin Smith is a super Star Wars fan. So what you're saying is that Clerks gives every film student a new hope. With Matt's, with Matt's film title, everything is in context and everything has to be taken when it happens. Matt's title sounded too much like The Day After Tomorrow, the, the, which, the, which was the environmental a environmental disaster film. Right. So because yeah. that movie existed, it's a problem. Yeah, and, I, and, yeah. and you have to be part of the, the zeitgeist. Well, you know what? Boyd is a problem, too, because when you want to look it up, you can't just type in Boyd. you got to put, like, B... Period. period. <laughs> you know, oh, period. Yeah, and from like, a marketing it's not easy. standpoint. Yeah, it wasn't a good idea. Well, from a marketing <laughs> standpoint, you could have at least gotten, if you would have gone with the day before yesterday, you could have at least gotten some. No, the day after yesterday. Yeah, the day before tomorrow, tomorrow the day on. after yesterday. You could have gotten some. You could have just called it today. Well, I'll tell you. You could have gotten some of that runoff, though, is what I'm saying. You could have gotten some people like, I think this is about nature. I don't know. <laughs> so the thing that I would say about Boyd is having been in it, a lot of people who watched it said, it's amazing that the people who are in it. Like, you guys were able to film your friendship. I didn't know any of the people who were in Boyd. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know, before, including me. Before like, we kind of knew me, but and, like, we hadn't like, talked in we, we became friends afterwards, but nobody believes that that movie was made on a $500 budget. I believe it. You know, you <laughs> and, and well, no, but that's what we were talking about no, before but you, the break you, is you, that the barrier to entry, the technology that we have between the computer that we're recording on and the microphones and our iPhones yeah. that we all have. Steven Soderbergh is filming movies on iPhones but, as but, a creative choice, but you still need technique. And I feel like I knew enough about making movies to know that I could shoot it to make it look like a bigger movie because I think a big hallmark of low budget movies is like one shot static two people talking but i wanted boyd to be very energetic every shot i wanted to have a different angle and that makes it look like it cost more because it took longer to do but that's your point with clerks is that clerks is not loved because it is a cinematic masterpiece based on the ability to use the camera it's what the writing is so when yeah. you look at a movie like boyd i haven't seen boyd in years so i'm not going to comment on the quality of the, the you wrote story. a review it's a four-star review i, 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 I could uh... <laughs> <laughs> i believe when that came to i think it was amazon streaming somebody sent out you, a mass, you got my check in the somebody, mail right somebody sent out a mass text that said hey <laughs> if, if we're gonna get any revenue from this we gotta get some reviews and i've seen a penny and <laughs> i said i love i love you so i'll do a review but my point is when you say there's a movie that only costs 500 dollars we exist in a world where in every high school student's pocket, they have a tool that they already own, that they have the ability to film whatever they want in a quality that 20 years ago you couldn't even touch. 
So it's not a matter of... And it also costs more than $500. He put that entire film on his credit card because he believed in it so much. I think the question now comes in, we all know in hindsight that Kevin Smith is very talented. How many people that do not have the talent or the writing or the dedication to the craft that Kevin Smith did leveraged their credit and failed? That's happened thousands of times. You'll never know those people because that's just some guy in... A basement and, that just never did anything, but now he's thirty grand deep in debt. And, yeah. and not to take a knock at Kevin Smith at all, because I thoroughly enjoyed Clerks. And we don't want him to sue us because we're in using Clerks clips. too. <laughs> no, but in all honesty, there's more to it than Clerks being a good movie. There is a certain element of the gods or whatever you believe in touching that and making it work. Because there are countless brilliant things out there in the world that people haven't seen, haven't heard of, don't know about, that go beyond just having faith of... of, of, And Clerks is a very good movie, but there Mm -hmm. are plenty of things out there that are better made, Mm -hmm. better written, that nobody's ever going to see. When you talk about the saying that there's only like six stories and then everybody retells them over and over again with slight differences, I think the ability to tell a story where you can relate to a character is something that draws people in when you can put yourself into the main character's point of view the thing that clerks does is any number of characters you can relate to them at any given time what's your elevator pitch of clerks like how would you pitch that to me it's very convenient oh (laughs) Oh, that's a good one very good Um, shouldn't even be here if I'm describing the movie to you, if someone yes. who's never seen it, if I in one sent in one sentence, yes. if could I have you to please clerks, do it before we're eighty? <laughs> it is the story of one day in the life of a guy who works at a convenience store who, in his heart, knows he needs to be somewhere else. That sounds kind of interesting. Like I would watch that, but if I were to say, "Hey, describe Captain America: Civil War," what's it about? <clears throat> Well, you see Captain America. So, so you put me on the spot because that, that's, that's not a movie that I really love. So recently I was looking to watch a film and I was looking at the, the most recent movies that were put up on HBO. And one of the films was Crazy Rich Asians. I had heard great reviews about it. It had a huge box office. I watched the preview of this movie and it was in the preview a movie about a couple that was getting married and the woman's mother-in-law didn't like her. That was the plot. So I'd heard all these great reviews about this story. After watching the trailer, I didn't watch the movie. It's a good movie. Then I will take your recommendations and I will go back and I will watch that. Well, because we already said there's only six different stories. (laughs) Exactly. We just retell them with different characters in them. But I thought it would be a little bit different. What is the theme of Three Men and a Baby? I haven't. I saw it in theaters when I was six. There was some sort of kidnapping. Come on, there was a theft. I don't remember the movie at all. And it, and the, the, we went three to, men yeah. who had relations with a woman, no, no, and no. none of them knew no, who, the who the father was. was right? but, <laughs> no, was you're the talking woman about my two dads. The reason I bring that up is because I am a big fan of Shane Black, and so I ended up seeing Kiss Kiss Bang Bang on a whim. It is one of my favorite movies that I've ever seen. I didn't know anything about it. I read the short synopsis of it's like a crime movie. The pitch, if someone had pitched that movie to me, I would have been like, okay. But in seeing the movie, it was amazing to me. You saw it at Transit Regal, right? I did. Because it only played for one week. I saw it there too. It would have been funny if we had seen it, it on the same day. I would have to go back. <laughs> I'd have to look at my calendar. Hard I, have, I have the tickets, though. I save all my tickets. When did that so, come so, out, Maddie? Um, 
21st, October 21st. I will further say the only reason I saw that movie is I had an out-of-town guest staying with me that I did not know how to entertain. And so I actually looked at whatever movie was up and him and I went and saw a movie together and we randomly grabbed this out of the descriptions and both absolutely love the film um, so what people can't see because obviously we don't have a visual element i brought up kiss kiss bang bang on imdb and it shows that it came out on november no. 18th that's, and that's matt, absolutely and matt inaccurate is, matt is flailing his hands angrily and if you scroll down opening weekend october 23rd 2005 yeah, thank you because that, that was it, a sunday and it opened the 21st of friday if only you could capitalize on the skills this was no, this I was a game no show that you could have there's tv shows where celebrities play like party games and other people watch them do party games which makes no sense to me oh yeah doesn't ellen have one of those shows no it was it's the the woman that looks (laughs) like yes it's called yeah it's called the ellen show (laughs) what's that woman's name jane lynch (laughs) (laughs) the woman who looks like ellen Uh, you're just saying that because they're both blonde blonde. look look Look, get me a woman like Ellen, I don't want to pay Ellen rates, but I want you to be semi-confused and think it might be Ellen. And you I don't know, want like, somebody obscure, someone we know from like a show, like uh, like Glee. She's got to be somebody from Glee. She's got to be good at games. Close <laughs> enough that they'll refer to it as that show that Ellen that Ellen has. You know, close enough that old people will they'll think, think it's Ellen. Think it's Ellen. And he really thought that was Ellen for a season and a half. <laughs> He's like, how does Ellen have the time? There's also a show on one of the like cable apps networks where people actually play board games with Will Wheaton and people do escape rooms. Who's Will Wheaton? Oh, escape room would be kind of fun to watch. It's fascinating to watch, actually, as a social experiment. I think it's a pretty good idea for a show. You could have competitive escape rooming. Like Survivor. Yeah, and then there'd be teams and, and people would get voted off. It's kind of like that. Um, it's kind of like Global Guts, like the the mountain at the end where they have to go through the aggro frag. Yes. No guts, I know. Ellen show, I don't know. Uh, Hollywood game night. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the name of the show? Yeah, uh, well, of course you know that you're from Hollywood. Yeah, well, you would say you live in because yeah, nobody knows what Van Nuys is. In, not Hollywood. Kind of. No, like I Buffalo. know we moved. We were in North Hollywood. Now we're in Van Nuys. But is Van Nuys in LA? Yeah, it's very big. Okay, it's like if you took all of Erie County and turned it into Buffalo. Okay. Which is pretty much how people describe Buffalo. Like, no one says they're from Lackawanna when they're outside of Buffalo. Or Springville. But I, I do agree with Chris about Shane Black. I, I do think that he's, he's one of my favorite screenwriters. He's very good at structuring plots and very good at action. The pitch of that movie would yeah, not be that it's interesting. Hard. Yeah, same with the nice guys. You see the nice guys? I, I did, and I liked it. Yeah, and it's hard, it's it, hard to describe what it's and, about. On a scale of 1 to 10, where do you put the cable guy? 8. Really? I mean, if you gave it a 6, I wouldn't argue. But if you gave it a 4, I'd be like, you're crazy. Okay, so let's say a studio, they say, Maddie, yeah. we're giving you a film. You have Jim Carrey as your star. Oh, great. We don't have a script, <laughs> What script do you go find? Cable guy. <laughs> you think the you cable re- you, guy wait, is Jim Carrey's best movie? Hold well, on. You, okay, you, no, hold on. I'm sorry. Sorry. We quintessential gotta, no, films we got to stop. We gotta... Liar, liar is the quintessential Jim Carrey movie. Wait, seriously? Yes. For the record, 
I fully agree with him. I look back to Jim Carrey and the, the <laughs> two <laughs> things. Oh my goodness! Arms if, crossed. Yeah. If we could, if we could see Manny right now, he is in a fighting stance. All right, what do you got? If you've ever seen a cobra, <laughs> ready to strike. I just gotta know your favorite Jim Carrey movie. Ace Ventura is where I'm going because Ace Ventura is. Unless you were a veteran of going to the comedy store in the '80s, which oh. none of us were, Jim Carrey became a person we knew okay, of can, from can we, Fire can, Marshal Bill. You're right. On, can I? On in Living Color. In theory, there's gonna be a reunion of all of the In Living Color people, which would be amazing. Oh, that would be fantastic. How many Jim Carrey lines could you come up with? All of them are from The Mask. The first one I come up with is, I'm kicking my own ass, which is from... Liar Liar. Liar Liar. He was at the height of his powers. He could do whatever he wanted to do. In that movie, he was let loose. But it was also the first time that he was a person. In, yes. In yes. every other movie, he was some sort of cartoon. Like, The Mask, he was a living cartoon. In Ace Ventura, if you want to send us hate mail, please do. <laughs> <laughs> we, would, yeah. I, we were desperate for some communication. Chris, Chris <laughs> runs the email. If you are a pet detective. <laughs> yes. If you have a problem with this next line. So, Matt, where do you see movies going 10 years from now? I can tell you where I think it's going to go, and then I can tell you where I hope it goes. Where I think it's going to go is all intellectual property. We're just like, they're going to remake the Harry Potter movies. More consolidation. They're going to redo Harry Potter. They're going to redo the Marvel movies. And, sp- and spinoffs, right? Wait, wait, yeah. who, wait who owns Harry Potter? Is it Warner War- Brothers. You think Warner Brothers is going to remake them? Absolutely. It's probably going to be a TV series. It'll probably be something. I don't know if it'll be theatrical. But... I mean, you see this You see this in TV shows, too, and, and other forms of entertainment, where when something becomes popular, when something becomes a moneymaker, the tendency is going to be in a capitalist society, right? to push it as far as it'll go you get friends which was a very popular tv show spun off into joey right some stupid <laughs> it worked well but... did it <laughs> well it exists i <laughs> guess I, I assume you're talking about the movie friends with benefits <laughs> but even more to that point, did i miss your point <laughs> Ricky Gervais uh, has maybe. been really, really upfront about the fact that he did the British version of The Office. Office. Right. And when asked why he only did, what is it, two seasons? His answer was, I told all the jokes that there was to have. Mm-hmm. And then the question was, well, why did The American Office go 14 seasons? And he said that the American audience was a lot more willing to listen to the same joke over and over yeah. again. That show makes me very sad. I, really can't, I can't watch that show. I think I've talked to you about this before, Chris. It's about a bunch of people that are very unhappy working in an office that they don't like. It's very gray and dark. Yeah. <laughs> like, you never see the outdoors. Pretty grim. And, yeah. And wanna... the only interactions between people are horribly awkward. That's, like, what's funny about the show, right? I is guess. It's completely awkward. I guess. To build a whole show up. Right. Which, at the yeah, root no. of it, is why we liked Clerks, right? I feel like at least in Clerks, Randall was having a good time. I think with The Office in the length of time that it's going, you know that they don't succeed. So one of the things... It depends on what your metric of success is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Jim's and, a pretty well, good happiness, salesman. maybe, but they're all unhappy. That's yeah, all. They, I come back to the are, fact that they're all they unhappy. They are unhappy. And, and, and when they get any sort of inkling of happiness, the show takes it away from them. And, <laughs> and, and, no, it does. And with this being said, Joss Whedon, who is a writer, director that I like and enjoy, one of the things that he's said in his creative process is you can never give the audience what they want or else the show is over. The story ends. And so when you have something like The Office where you want good for the people, the story can never give them that or else it's over. But it's a fine line to walk. 
not to make this too topical, but like when you look at Game of Thrones, part of why it's become so popular is what the fans have wanted is what has played out. You can say the same thing for Breaking Bad. When Breaking Bad came out, Vince Gilligan, <laughs> the creator, that he doesn't use focus groups to determine where the story arc was going to go for Breaking Bad because what focus groups say they want isn't necessarily what makes a good story. People want the protagonist to have a certain arc. They want things to work out for everybody. But that's not what makes an interesting story. An interesting story comes from the fact that it takes a twist that you don't necessarily see coming, but it's interesting. It drives the story. And so that would bring me to the question for Matt. What would you want to see? I want to see movies that have more story as opposed to plot. There's a difference between plot and story. Plot is like what happens in the movie, like A to B to C to D. But story is what it's about. So I love Die Hard. I'm going to put that right out there. Die Hard is one of my probably top 20 movies that I love. Ooh, not 25. Wait, what's your number one, though? It's a spectrum. I can't. Is that about autism? (laughs) Yeah. You okay. don't have one? Andrew, I don't. I don't your... understand people who have favorites. Yeah, I don't. I agree. Things. Do you have it's a favorite something color? You always go to. Mm. Everybody has favorite it. color. Mm-hmm. Yeah, orange. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask the question in a different way. You have to sit here and watch the movie. What movie do you want to watch right now? Oh, I'm gonna have to go with Matt's. Uh, Matt's Triple Threat. I think that that that's a movie I need to watch right now. So I've watched Boyd. Drew, have you watched Boyd? Yes. Oh, oh, have you? Okay. Really? Yep. My so, wife saw it, too. Between Drew and I, we're the only people in the room who have seen the movie and are not involved in its creation. That's right. I've watched it twice. Why? Well, so I watched it once because Chris asked me to. Because he's like, hey, tell me about this thing. This is a project I was involved yeah, with. Yeah. And then when it came out on Amazon Prime... Uh, they said, hey, watch it again. I enjoyed the movie. Like, while watching it, it comes full circle to when you ask me what my favorite movie is. I can differentiate, it's you know. It's isn't it? <laughs> and I'm just embarrassed to say that it's Boyd. I can't go yeah, I know. You keep saying clerks, but I really feel uh, like he means Boyd. <laughs> no, but I think that's the thing that part of what you're talking about with where movies are going and what the point of movies is. I think mm. that's the whole point is when we're sitting down to watch a movie, we just want to be entertained. So in that moment, when you watch that film, if you're entertained then, it doesn't matter how good the movie is, it doesn't matter how great the production value is, if you walk out of watching a movie and all you remember from the movie is, you know what, for that hour and a half that I sat there and watched it, I was entertained. Be- before you say something like that, though, yeah. can, I, can I chime in? Sure. I think there's a certain credibility to be given to like the Siskel and Ebert review. Thumbs up thumbs down if you do like the scale of one to ten there's so many other factors that go into it of like what budget went into this movie what was your mood for the day and they would talk about it they would say like yes we in the end we give this a thumbs up we didn't like the performances but we were thinking about the movie the next day that's a perfect explanation about boyd your performance was terrible but i I still (laughs) liked the film yeah (laughs) look my my haircut was terrible (laughs) and i was a little heavy the crew was three people. I was going to say, what crew? <laughs> it was, like, <laughs> no, it was Matt on camera, Bobby G doing general production Clean stuff. Clean up work, yeah. And like whatever else needed to be done. And Ian, Ian who yeah. did sound. There were three people who were on the back end of that movie. That's actually pretty darn impressive. And like, like when I say it's that, a real movie though. Like I remember watching it, and I watched it with my wife. I don't know if she was my wife at the time. She was. If you watch okay, that so movie she, and you think. Three people made that movie behind the scenes. 
and you tell me that that's not a good movie, I, I would challenge you uh, to have any level of understanding of what it takes to make a movie. Over the course of making the film, Matt rewrote the ending. And if anybody watches the movie, I really think the ending stands out. In having worked on it and having lived the experience, not knowing what that ending was going to be, his rewrite of the ending changes the entire feel of the movie. Everyone who's seen Boy that I'm friends with has said, like, we're all here. <laughs> yes. That's, that's, that's <laughs> awesome that you and your friends made a movie. And I wasn't friends with the people before. Yes. But and that's something that I always got out of it, too. It's like, people are like, oh, that's great that you can make a movie with your friends. It's like, we didn't, nobody knew each other, though. Yeah. It was like, we're friends now, but do you remember the blackout? Do you remember uh, what you were doing? I no 2003 the blackout the blackout I was in Rochester I do remember what I was doing uh, we went down the street we bought uh, beer mm-hmm. and we sat on our porch and we drank it <laughs> I have absolutely no recollection of the blackout how do you re- not remember that life, it was crazy I have no reference in I in remember my mind. specifically enough I'm that like that the place that we went to buy beer nobody had power right they didn't have power either there what year was it 2003. 2003 2003 August, August 14 2003. 2003 out of my mind it was a big issue that we lost power because one of my roommates was actually growing pot in the closet of, <laughs> of the house so as a filmmaker we talked about it in our last show people can be an actor in low budget movies mm-hmm. and actually make a living you're an editor people who aren't involved in movies always look at people who are in hollywood and assume that everybody involved in making movies in hollywood is making millions of dollars all the time I'm now i'm millions i'm looking at you <laughs> look what i'm wearing i look at what you're wearing i saw the car you drove up in and unless you are the most humble person it's red. in the world you're it's red. burgundy at best <laughs> i would well, call it red uh, we go with the theme of the show of shouldn't even be here i yeah. look at you and you haven't had any near-death experiences nope you watched a movie when you were younger and yeah. you said to yourself I want to be a person yep. who makes movies. It was L.A. Story, yeah. L.A. Story. You've done it. You are a person. You work in Hollywood. If you want to take the theme of the show of you shouldn't be here, mm. you decided 20 years ago, I want to make movies. And you are. That's a super inspirational thing. You are in the same vein and of a Kevin Smith. I, I, you says, know what? I agree with you. And I will say, you know what happened? I worked at Walmart until I was very old. But I very very old. Yes, but, uh, a ripe twenty five. <laughs> yeah, ish. but I, but I had a story. Cruising I wanted to into tell. your seventeenth high school reunion. There's <laughs> room in our there's room in our golf force. Nobody will he, ask. Makes, he makes movies. He drives a red car. He's <laughs> he's doing it, guys. <laughs> can I? Can I? When you keep pointing out that your car is red, the only thing I can so think red. of is the line from the movie Swingers where John Favreau is at a Hollywood party and the woman, he walks up and tries to flirt with a woman and she just looks at him and says, what do you drive? And he goes, a, a, a Cavalier. And she starts walking away. He goes, it's, it's red. It's a, it's, a red, it's a red Cavalier. Exactly, Joe. That's, that's all. So now you know what it's like to be me. I will say. I went to L.A., no prospects. A month later, I got a job. Two months later, I got another job. So, I, or just get lucky. I just feel like I'm very lucky. To well, me, that defines me. It's just, I'm lucky. Which, which I'm is very so, lucky. So, I'm going to chime in. You're not lucky. You're good. I would say that I spent a lot of time doing things I had no idea anyone would watch or care about. And 
doing that work helped prepare me for being lucky. I think it's important to look at, you know, the idea of not even supposed to be here. Drew and Chris and me, we all have an extra moment where we had times in our life where if things had been different, it could have been cut short. But it shouldn't take someone having a near-death experience or a potentially fatal illness to have your moment. Everything just turns on a dime for good or bad. So what you need to do is just appreciate where you are. And as hokey as it sounds. Which we would know from your eye rolls. I saw that. When you talk about the Mighty Ducks movie, or you think about the <laughs> Mighty Ducks movie, where like they talk about his shot that hits the post, and he focuses on it, could have gone in. Yeah, but if you were an inch the other way, you would have missed completely. Exactly. Dynamite drop in, Drew. <laughs> <laughs> it's from the movie. I knew we were going But the quote or the sentiment makes sense. What we look at and what we have is both a product of what we've sown and what we've reaped, as well as how we view what we have. And so moving forward, you can look at it as I'm not where I wanted to be, not where I should be, but you can honestly take a look at where am I and where do I want to be? And I think that there's a lot to be said for that. There's a future. I'm still young. We're all young. When you were in high school and you saw LA Story, if someone said to you, what would you feel? Like when you're projecting your target out into yeah. the into the future, editing a $9 million movie, would I be crazy to say that that would be beyond your expectations? Um, No, I always expected to be. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, at the end of the day, I'm very happy with where I am, but I feel like I have more to give. That's a cool thing, though, that yeah. there's not many people that figure out what they want to do in high school and then go and actually do it. Like, I'm an attorney. I didn't decide I wanted to be an attorney what in did high you school. Think you I never yeah, actually, what did you think wait, you were going to be in high school? Yeah. Dinosaur. <laughs> you know, I've never actually been able to answer the question, if you could do anything, what would you do? I would sit around. And do nothing, right? I would not, <laughs> you know, I can make money playing poker. I would love to do that. I can make money trading stocks. I would love to do that. There's things that people do because this pays me a steady, secure check. But then when I'm done, I'm in a band. I do a podcast. I do a, a thing. We're all sitting here and we're doing a podcast. As of the recording of this, we've made exactly $1. Joe, what did you want to do in high school? I was delusional when I was in high school. I started playing hockey when I was in eighth grade. And in my mind, despite the fact that I was the worst guy on my JV team, <laughs> in my mind, I thought that there was a path where I'm like, I could do this for you're, a living. You're right. But that's I, a could good... work, I could work hard enough where I can be in the NHL. It's just a matter of effort. Genetics. Like, when I look at who I am and anything that I've accomplished in my life, I never had the talent. I was never on the path to be in the NHL. But I was delusional enough to think that. If you asked me when I was 18, what are you going to do? I'm like, you know what? I'm going to be seen by somebody. I thought that would be a Joe, thing. you could have done it. I could have, you but I didn't. I have come to the conclusion that what you do yeah. for a living and yeah. what you do to make your money isn't who you are. We're going to wrap it up there. All right, Maddie. So thank you very much for coming in tonight. Uh, thank you. I hope you learned something. I hope you've been inspired to live your dream. Thanks for joining us. Not even supposed to be here today.